Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Amen. Wonderful. Why don't you, uh, you can take your seats. If you have a Bible or it'll probably come up on the screen. Um, I want to read, uh, we're going to go into the Old Testament. We're going to read from um, the book of First Samuel, um, chapter 21. First Samuel 21. This is a story from the life of David. Now, um, we know that David, of course, goes on to become king of Israel. He goes on to become Israel's greatest king. Uh, but in, in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, David is not king. Instead, the king is um, actually David's father-in-law, um, King Saul. And um, to put this into context, um, to, to see what's happened in chapter 20 before we read chapter 21... Um, We know that David, um, from a youth, has been anointed by the prophet Samuel. Samuel has told him that he is going to be the future king. And so he knows that the plan and the purpose and the destiny that God has for his life is that he is going to sit on the throne and he's going to be king of Israel. And everything seems to be working out really well. Um, He ends up moving to Jerusalem, the capital city. He ends up... um, uh, kind of joining the royal household, becoming uh, one of Saul's uh, key men in Saul's army. Um, he ends up marrying um, Saul's daughter and becoming the king's son-in-law. So everything seems to be going really well. But then things start to go really badly. Because Saul decides one day that he's going to kill David. Who knows that is not uh, the kind of relationship you want with your in-laws. Um, so I don't know if you're married here. I don't know what kind of in-laws you've got. Mine are okay. David's father-in-law was demon-possessed and wanted to kill him, which kind of made Christmas lunch really awkward, right? Um, so um, a couple of times um, Saul kind of tries to kill David, um, and David goes to Saul's son, Jonathan, his best friend, and says, I think your dad doesn't like me. What do you think? Um, and Jonathan says, well, let's make a few inquiries. And so in chapter 20, Jonathan breaks the news to David. He said, look, you need to get out of town now. Uh, if you don't escape, if you don't leave, uh, my dad's going to kill you. And so David literally has no time to pack a suitcase. He has to leave his wife. He has to leave his family, his home. He has to leave his best friend. He has to leave his job. Um, He doesn't even have enough food to to pack. Um, He literally has to get out of town and go on the run. And this is where we come to in chapter 21. It says, David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Um, Basically, that is one lie followed by another lie followed by another lie. 
David, the man after God's own heart. Um, verse 3. Um, now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five, lo- five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered, David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. I don't know if that was a lie as well, but going by David's track record in uh, chapter 21 so far, it could well have been. Um, The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy, how much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. Yet another lie. Once you've told one, you might as well just keep going, right? Um, The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Praise God for his word. Don't you love in the Bible that even the superheroes have bad days? You kind of, anyone else find that encouraging? That he is like David, one of the greatest superheroes in the Bible. He's having a pretty bad day. His family want to kill him. Um, he's married into like a family where the dad's possessed by a demon. He's had to leave his home, his family, his wife, his house, his possessions, his job, his calling. Um, he is a guy that has been called, set apart, anointed, chosen by God. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a destiny. And it seems like. He's a million miles away from what God has said he's going to be. You know, Samuel didn't tell him about this bit. Do you ever, do you ever find it annoying that the prophet never gives you the fine print? You know, you get called out at the prophetic conference and it's God's going to send you to the nations. God's got a plan, a purpose for your life. But then they never tell you, oh, by the way, before you get there, all this stuff's going to happen. And David finds himself in probably his lowest point where he literally has no no one to turn to. He has no possessions, not a sword, not even a sandwich. He's got nothing. He's upset. He's depressed. He's lonely. He's confused. He's afraid. He's got questions. Why, God? Where Where do I go now? What do I do now? God, I know you've called me. I know you've anointed me. But I can't see... How are you going to get me there from here? Has anyone ever been there? Aren't you glad that the Bible talks about real issues that we all face? 
We all know what it is to be confused. We all know what it is to have problems. We all know what it is to have adversity. We all know what it is to have people that are against us. We all know what it is to be afraid and lonely and to be literally stripped of everything. But here's the the, the thing that I find so, I want to inspire us with this afternoon. David knew that there was somewhere that he could go. And David, when he had nowhere else to go, no one else to turn to, David knew, if I can get to the presence of the high priest, everything's going to be okay. I know that in the presence of the high priest, I will receive what I need to continue my journey. And this afternoon, I want to encourage us that there is somewhere that we can go. And it's called the presence of Jesus, our high priest. God's answer to all of life's problems is always a place. And the place is his presence. Have you got questions? Go to his presence. Are you, have you been betrayed? Go to his presence. Are you confused about what's happening? His presence. Are you lonely? Are you afraid? Are you upset? Are you empty handed? The answer is always his presence. And David knew, if I can't go anywhere else, I can't go to my family. They want to kill me. I can't go to Samuel. He's died. There's nowhere else I can go. But I do know there is someone I can turn to. And that is the high priest. And I think that out of all the offices and the titles of, that Jesus has. He's our saviour. He's our friend. He's the lover of our souls. He's our God. He's our king. He's our creator. But I find one of the most powerful offices that Christ has is this, that Christ is my high priest. That he is literally the one who stands in the presence of God as my advocate, as my defender, as the one who speaks for me. Is the one who enables me to come before the Father as my high priest. There's, if you read in Exodus 28 about the robes and the, the different clothes and garments that the high priest wore. We're, we're not going to go into it in too much detail. But, but remember the high priest speaks of the great high priest, Jesus. And the Bible says that when the high priest would go into the presence of God, he would wear the names of the children of Israel upon his shoulders as a sign that he was carrying their burdens into the presence of God. Aren't you glad today that we have one who carries our burdens? Aren't you glad right now the Bible says that he daily bears our burdens? That no matter what our problem is, no matter what our concern or our worry or our fears are, all of us, we can worry about the future, we can worry about today, we can worry about all kinds of things. But there is one who carries our burdens, that we don't have to go through it alone. There is one who, who lifts our burdens up and every, every yoke, he carries it upon himself. He will even carry us if we want him to. The name Ahimelech, by the way, that he was the high priest at the time of David, his name means the king is my brother. 
What a powerful reminder that when the real king, the, the natural king, was trying to kill him, God gave David a reminder that there was a greater king, uh, the king in heaven, and that he was David's brother. He was David's champion. He was David's advocate. Aren't you glad today that the king is our brother? He's our brother. He's our friend. He's our high priest. He's the one who will pick us up on his shoulders and carry us into the presence of God. The thing that I find so powerful in that Exodus account about the high priest is that not only would the high priest carry the names of the children of Israel on his shoulders, but he would also carry the names of the children of Israel over his heart, over the breastplate, the ephod. That when the high priest went into the presence of God, the names of God's children were on his heart. Aren't you glad today that you're on God's heart? That you're on the heart of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been having a bad day and maybe you've not even told anyone, but someone will come up to you and say, you've been on my heart today. And it just kind of lifts you. You just know someone cares. Someone's thinking about me. It may, may even not be someone who's a Christian, but even just those words, you've been on my heart. You've been, I've been thinking about you. You know, it just, you know that there's, there's strength there. There's encouragement there. Well, what a, what a thought that you're on the heart of Jesus right now. That you are on his heart. That he's praying for you. Sometimes, you know, if I'm on ministry somewhere, I, I will know. That someone's praying for me. I just feel strengthened. I just know there's somewhere, someone somewhere who's praying for me. Well, do you know that today Jesus is praying for you? Do you know right now that if you were to look at the prayer list of Jesus, your name would be right there on the top. And I know that he never forgets. I don't know if anyone's ever said pray for me and you said yeah but then you forgot about it and remembered like three months later and felt so bad. Or maybe you you have remembered but you just kind of just repeated a few words almost parrot fashion. Well I know that Jesus never forgets. And I know that when he prays, he prays with passion. He prays with conviction. He prays with faith. He prays with assurance and confidence. And I know that the Father always listens to the prayers of Jesus. That he always responds to the prayers of Jesus. That he always hears and answers the prayers of Jesus. And right now he's praying for me. And he's praying for you. A great uh, Scottish revivalist, Robert Murray McShane, said these words. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. And then basically saying, look, I might not be able to hear him naturally, but by faith I know that he is praying for me. I know that he is interceding for me. Why should I fear? We have this incredible high priest. The book of Hebrews says it's such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, 
Set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day by day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Oh, thank God for Jesus. So David knew, if I can't go anywhere else, I can come to the presence of the high priest. He comes to the house of Ahimelech, the high priest. And and today, we're being encouraged to come into the presence of God. Coming into the presence of our king, our high priest, our brother, our savior. But then David makes this request. He says to Ahimelech, he says, look, I don't even have anything to eat. Can I have some bread? You see, David was determined that he would not leave the presence of the high priest empty-handed. Or did someone get that today? David was determined. I'm not just turned up at the high priest's house just for a a chat and a pat on the back. I know that he's going to have something for me. I know that I can receive something from the high priest that is going to satisfy my hunger. That is going to strengthen me. That is going to sustain me. That is going to give me energy on my journey. I wonder if there is anyone who's come to church today. You've not just come for a service. You've not just come to listen to a talk and sing a few songs. But you have come to get something from God. You are, you are determined, I have come into the presence of God and I am not going to leave the presence of God empty-handed. I know that God has got something for me today. We were talking about coming in the first service into his presence, into, before the throne. And the Bible says that when we come before the throne of grace, we receive mercy and we find peace. In other words, God has got something for us. God has got power he wants to give to people, life, strength, something to sustain his people today. And as we come, we come to receive from Jesus. Amen. So David says, look, have you got something? Have you got some bread? And I love this response. The high priest says this. I don't have any ordinary bread. Obviously, he'd not done his shopping that week. He'd run out of his loaf of harvest or whatever bread was available. The only bread he had available was the bread of the presence. And what the bread of the presence was, was this. It was bread that was placed in the presence of God. And it was left 24 hours. And then every 24 hours, that bread was taken out and fresh bread was put in. And that bread that had been there for 24 hours, the the Jewish people believed that it had literally become soaked in the presence of God. And it was known as the bread of the presence. It was considered there was something supernatural about this bread and as the priest only the priest could eat it that was his lunch each day as he was eating that bread he wasn't eating 
bread which was ordinary. But he was feeding on the very presence of God. And so here David turns up. Have you got any bread? And the high priest says, well, I don't have any ordinary bread. But if you want to share my lunch, I've got bread that's supernatural. I've got bread that is full of the life of God. I've got bread from another dimension. Bread of the presence. Not ordinary bread. Another, the King James Version says, I don't have bread which is common. You see, when we come into the presence of God, what God has available is not ordinary. What God has available is not common. But we feed on the life of the Spirit. We feed on the very presence of Jesus. We are receiving something from another dimension. We are receiving something from another world. We are receiving something heavenly. We are receiving something supernatural. We are receiving something that is life-giving. It's not ordinary. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who feeds on me will live forever. The bread that I give is myself, my flesh, my presence. And he said that that bread will raise him up on the last day. When you feed on Jesus, it raises you up out of your sickness, out of your depression, out of your bondage, out of your shame. Because it's not ordinary, it's not common. We've not come for an ordinary meeting. We've not come for an ordinary church service. There is no such thing. There is nothing ordinary in the presence of God. Only that which is supernatural. Only that which is life-giving. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, man shall not live on what is ordinary. Man shall not live on what is common, but only on that which is presence. What bread are you eating from? Are you eating that which is ordinary? Is the thing that sustains you, that motivates you, that fills you, that gives you life? Is it ordinary? Is it common? Is it your job? Is it your degree? Is it your relationships? Is it your, is it your hobbies? All that is good. We need that natural bread. But the thing that sustains me, the thing that gives me life, the thing that gives me energy, the thing that truly fills that hole inside, it's the bread of his presence. It's that which is from another world. It's that which is life-giving, which is filled and saturated with the Holy Spirit. It's remarkable that David wasn't allowed to eat that bread. It's the bread that was given, that was set apart for the high priest. Who knows that David is not the high priest. I don't know why the high priest even gave him it. Maybe he was just scared because David was a pretty like tough dude, wasn't he? But David ate from bread 
which he was disqualified from eating. Not only that, he tells lie after lie after lie in this passage. You just think, my goodness. Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus quotes from this passage of scripture. You might not be too familiar with this passage this morning unless you know the Bible really well. But actually Jesus quotes it in every one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And never once does he rebuke David for what he did. See, there's a principle that your hunger supersedes your disqualification. Did you hear that? You read the Bible, God used some pretty rotten people. I mean, there are people that are murderers, adulterers, liars, thieves, and God used them because they were hungry. But then there are other people who are outwardly very moral and good people. But they were self-satisfied. And God bypassed them. And the principle is this. Not that we shouldn't hunger after holiness and purity and righteousness and integrity. Of course we should. But the truth of the matter is that every single one of us have got stuff that disqualifies. But if you're hungry for God, he'll fill you today. If you're hungry for his presence, you might be addicted, you might be bound, you might be messed up, you might be broken. But if you're hungry for Jesus, there's bread for you today. If you're thirsty, you can come and drink today. That is all that matters. Your passion and hunger for God is the thing that qualifies you for a miracle. Not your pharisaical outward form of religion but your desperation and who knows sometimes desperate people are the ones that religion disqualifies but they're the one, very ones that Jesus qualifies there's a story in the New Testament a very similar story actually there's a Canaanite woman a Gentile woman whose daughter is bound by a demon and she comes to Jesus saying, Jesus, will you heal my little girl? And Jesus, because he's a Jew, he's come to minister to the Jews, not the Gentiles. He ignores her. But she keeps crying out and finally turns and says, look, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. In other words, healings and miracles, it's, it's, the, it's the bread for God's children, the Jews. Compared to that, you're just a Gentile dog. You don't qualify for this. She makes this statement. Yeah, but even the dogs know where it is to come to the table and eat the crumbs that fall. She said, I might be a dog. I might, not, I might be disqualified from the loaf. But can I get a crumb? Because even a crumb from your presence is enough to deliver my little girl. And Jesus said, wow, I've not seen faith like this. And from that very hour, her daughter was delivered. You see, when it comes to the bread of his presence, just one crumb is enough to get your deliverance, to get your miracle, to get your breakthrough. And the amazing thing is, in God's sight now, we're no longer Gentile dogs, but we are children, and children get the whole loaf, right? 
So if, a, if, a, if one crumb got deliverance for a little girl, how much more power is there in the whole loaf? And that loaf is ours. So David comes, he eats the bread of the presence, and then he says this. Have you got a sword? You see, David didn't just want bread to sustain him. He also wanted a sword to empower him. And in the presence of God, not only is there bread to sustain you, but there is also power. God wants to empower people this afternoon. Who needs the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? I just felt that there were some people here this afternoon and you need the power of God. You need the sword of the Spirit. You need the authority of heaven because I believe there are people here and right now you're in a battle. Is that anyone today? You're in a battle right now. And thank God we don't have to fight battles in our own strength. God wants to empower us. His presence is our armory. It's where we can get empowered and equipped to fight every battle and to overcome every enemy. And this is where I want to land this. And we're going to be through in just a few minutes. Himelech said, there is a sword. The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed. And he said this. It's lying under a cloth, under the ephod. That's a very strange expression. But you have to get this, because this, this is so powerful. The ephod was what covered the heart of the high priest. It was his breastplate. So what he was saying is this. If you can get under the ephod, you will find the sword. If you can touch the high priest's heart, you'll get the power that you need. See, we live in a generation, a church generation, where everybody wants a sword. Right? Everybody wants a power. Everyone wants the authority. You do a conference, you know, how to be empowered to move in signs, wonders, miracles. Everyone will turn up. But where are those who will get under the ephod? Where are those that will pursue the heart of God? Because that's where the power is. If you'll get under the ephod, you'll find the sword. Everyone wants a sword. Everyone wants a microphone. They want the pulpit. They want the website. They want the title. You want to write a successful book that sells millions? Don't write one called Seeing the Church because um, I've already written it, but not many people buy it. But write a book, I should have done this. You know, the 12 steps to being victorious, the 12 steps to, uh, to your destiny, the 15 ways to, to, to living in prosperity. Everyone wants a sword, the victory, the power, the success. The, the, they want to be more than conquerors. That's a great name for a ministry, the more than conquerors ministry. Everyone wants that kind of stuff. But where are those who will get under the ephod? Where are those who will touch the heart of God? 
That's what David was. He was the man after God's own heart. A man who pursued the heart of God. And that's why he was successful and victorious wherever he went. I, want to be, I don't want to be known as someone with great power and great authority and great anointing. I want to be known as someone who knows how to touch the heart of God. Because guess what? When you know how to touch the heart of God, you'll get the power. You'll get the authority. You'll get the victory automatically. I was, with a, I was preaching in a church a couple of weeks ago. And myself and the pastor, we were talking about another preacher. And... Um, I not uh, and and this is what the pastor said. I didn't know this guy. He was the pastor was telling me about him, and this is what he said. He said he is known as the friend of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, wow, hashtag life goals. What a thing to be known as a friend of the Holy Spirit, someone who knows what it is. To touch the heart of God. See, in the kingdom, power comes through proximity. He called the twelve to be with him. And he gave them power and authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. He invited them to touch his heart. And as they touched his heart, they got a sword. Remember the, the Last Supper? All the disciples are sat around and Jesus breaking like newsflash, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter says to John, ask him who he's talking about. I wonder if you've ever kind of read that and thought, why didn't Peter ask him? Was it because Peter was like, um, you know, he was a little bit bashful? Uh, Well, we know Peter's not like that. No, the answer's pretty simple. We don't know where Peter was sat at the table, but we know where John was sat. He was was leaning his head against the chest of Jesus. He was touching the ephod. He'd got under the ephod and he could feel the heartbeat of Jesus. He could feel his breath. He could smell his fragrance. He could hear his whisper. And he was positioned to get information from Jesus that Peter was too far away to get. You ever kind of meet some prophetic people and you're like, oh, they're so anointed. No, they've just got under the ephod. But the amazing thing is we all have that invitation. All of us, Jesus is inviting us. You can get in so close. You can lay your head against my chest. You can feel my heartbeat. You can smell my fragrance. You can hear my whispers. Lean in. Touch my heart. Does anyone want to touch the heart of God today? I've got a brother, Matthew, who some of you know. Matthew um, preaches all over the world. He's a preacher, a journalist, a missionary, a pastor. Um, many of you, some of you will know that he nearly died of malaria, but we're not going to repeat that story again. You've heard it enough times. But um, what many of you may not know is that when Matthew was a child, he couldn't speak. Um, He developed um, kind of overnight a very bad stammer. 
And he could only just get a few words out before, um, before he kind of clam up. And uh, my parents took him to speech therapists and um, they couldn't do anything. And so we just kind of assumed that Matthew would never be able to communicate properly, which um, if you know Matthew now, you think, wow, that, I wouldn't have even thought that. He never stops talking. And the reason is because we've got a mother. Now, our mother is has probably, for the past 15 years, been in a wheelchair. She has multiple sclerosis. She can hardly leave the house. She can't do anything. She's never preached a sermon in her life, never been in church leadership in her life, never led a ministry, never been on a missions trip, not really done much. However, she knows how to get under the ephod. She knows how to touch the heart of God. And there came a time when speech therapists failed and school teachers failed. A man's wisdom failed. And she began to cry out to God. And she prayed and fasted and she got under the ephod. And God gave her a sword. And she got the victory. And one day that stammer just supernaturally broke off of Matthew's life. And he was healed. Myself and my wife, we got married in 2009. And for the first couple of years, we were kind of quite happy, just the two of us. And then we started to think about two years in that we would like children. And so a year went by, two years went by, and still no child, no sign of a child. And after about three years, my wife started to get I mean, we were both upset, but my wife in particular was very down. And there came a day when we, a friend of ours, he's got a church up in the northeast. And um, it's kind of an old style church building like this, but with a balcony. And on the balcony, there are little booths. And what you do is you go into those booths and you leave your shoes outside so that people know that there's someone in the booth. And then you crawl in because you, it's, too, um, it's too small to stand up. So you have to crawl into the booth and you shut the door and you pray. And in uh, January 2014, um, myself and, and Laura, we went up to Sunderland and um, Laura climbed into one of those little booths and she got under the ephod and she began to touch the heart of God. And 10 months later, Judah was born and he will be, uh, he'll be four on Tuesday. See, I'm not telling you stories about great preachers and revivalists and we're used to that aren't we you know so and so preached a crusade and a million came to Christ and you know so and so went out you know was in a healing meeting and people got out of wheelchairs I love all that sort of stuff and sometimes we think that that's how you get the sword we associate the sword with the platform we associate the sword with the ministry I'm telling you stories about ordinary people who don't preach, they don't leave churches, they're not on a poster anywhere. But they know how to touch the heart of God.
And they found a sword. They found their breakthrough. They found their anointing. They found their authority. They found their victory. And in what area do you need the sword? What area do you need the victory today? The answer is always the same place. Under the ephod. Touching the heart of God. I find it amazing and as we come to the end of this passage that the sword that Ahimelech had was the very same sword that David used to chop off Goliath's head. Isn't that funny? That at David's lowest hour, God reminded him of his greatest victory. And when David picked up that sword, it became a testimony. It became a sword of praise and thankfulness of what God had done. And I've learned something in my short time. And it's this, that your worship is a weapon. That your praise and testimony of who God is and what he's done, it's like a sword in your hand. I learned this lesson. The very first time I went, uh, well, it was actually the second time I went to Kenya. But the first time I'd been there on ministry. I was with Nathan Morris, who you all know, or some of you know. Um, he was doing a, a gospel campaign in Kenya, which is now where the same place where Matthew and Becky now have the, the children's home. And uh, Nathan was up there on the stage preaching, and I was just part of the ministry team. And at the side of the stage, there was a tent. And I just kind of said, what, what's that tent? You know, is that where the refreshments are served? And uh, they said, no, that's the demon tent. I was like, okay, fair enough. Um, wish I'd not asked now. Um, I said, well, you know, what's that? They said, oh, if someone's got a demon, we put them in that tent. I thought, you know, we've not seen anything like that before at Royston AOG. Um, I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll go in and see what's happening. So I walk into this tent and there's this, there's lots of stuff happening, but the first person I come across was this young girl called Letty. She's probably about 10, 11 years old. And she is obviously under the influence of a demon. She has supernatural strength and a group of grown men are holding her to the floor. And she's violent. And the, these kind of African pastors, they're all there trying to cast this demon out of her. Well, I walk over and they all stop and look at me. And I look at them and they look at me and I realize that they're expecting me to do something about it. You know, well, you know, I've done my ministerial training and they, they taught me how to run a board meeting and how to, you know, make a nice website. But they forgot to mention this bit. So I'm like, I, I, so you got to pretend what you're doing. You know what you're doing, right? So I thought this, this will work. This is a good line. Come out in the name of Jesus. Come on, that's a good line, right? So I thought, that'll fix it. Well, imagine my shock when the demon spoke back to me through the little girl and said, there are nine of us and we're not going anywhere. So I'm now looking back at these pastors and I'm like, I I only had one line and that didn't work, guys. So 
do you know what we did? We began to worship. We just began to sing and worship God. Because when you worship, you get under the ephod. When you worship, you touch the heart of God. The Father seeks worshippers. That his heart longs. That's what his heart's looking for. When you worship, you satisfy his heart. And we began to sing about the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the power of Jesus. And after a few moments, the demon spoke again. And I will never forget this. Said this. Can you stop singing? I don't like it. And I learned a great lesson that day. That my praise irritates the devil. And so I just turned to the guys and we were like, let's sing louder. (laughs) So we just carried on worshipping. And you know what? As we touched the heart of God, we found the sword of the Spirit. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. Which to strike down the nations. The sword of the Spirit. And one by one, those demons left that little girl and she came the next night totally delivered. Saying, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Friends, you might not always have the answers. You might not always have the strategy. You might always know, not know what to do in, any, in every situation you're faced with. But if you can touch the heart of God, you'll find a sword. And I love David's response, the last line. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Oh, someone say there's nothing like it. There's nothing like his presence, right? There's nothing like touching his heart. There's nothing like encountering Jesus. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.